This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. You can turn in your Bibles and just put a, a put your ribbon on Matthew 25. We're going to go there in a little bit, but first we're going to get some some things uh, you know just put in place and established. Um, I'm starting, I guess, a, a, a set of teachings, and it's really not a new set of teachings. It's a continuation of what we've, what we've been covering, what we've been going over, what we've been trying to, to instill. We say it, it, it's good to repeat because teaching is repeating and repeating until learning takes place. And so if you need a title for this message, it's, it's Grace in Giving, the Call to Stewardship. Grace in Giving, the Call to Stewardship. And it may sound like it's a new title, you know, but it's really just the continuation of the teachings that have been going forth about the manifestation, the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I just love how the, the, uh, the disciples, they went from, from city to city confirming the words of Christ and they came upon one city and they said, you know, well, have you all received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, well, we didn't even know, we don't even understand, what, what are you talking about, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost? They said, well, what have you been baptized in? Because if, 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 the, if the lesson, of, if you learn the, the, the lesson about commitment, if you learn the lesson about submission, if you, if you understood about the baptism, then surely you would have received the Holy Ghost. And it would be manifested in your life. And they said, well, we only, we only heard about repentance. We only heard about casting away and turning away from our sins. But, but they said, well, let's, let's teach you about Jesus Christ. And they began to teach Jesus Christ from that point. And so the purpose in our teachings is that we want to have the, the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the, of the members of this ministry. Of all of you that are tuning in, you get a chance to peek in. You get a chance to get in on the goodness but we, we, we expect the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our members. And that we are being prepared to be used by God. He is doing a great work in us and through us. And we, we have purposed ourselves to be prepared for all that God has us to do. For whatever the task may be, that we are ready to do what he has called us to do. This teaching is, is, is following closely on the, the prior teaching on the assurance of God's presence. Because we need to be confident. We have to be confident and certain that the grace of God, that his power is with us as we arise and build. He's called us to restore a generation that has been lost. And we need to be confident, not timid, not weak, but we need to have confidence that the work that God has set us out to do, that we are able, that we are well able to do it. And following right along with that, in this particular span of time, in order for us to be effective as we arise and build, in order to be effective as we restore, in order for us to be effective in what God has called us to at this time, we must respond. We must respond to the call to stewardship. We, can, we cannot allow ourselves to be idle. We cannot allow, uh, not allow ourselves to be sidelined. 
We cannot allow ourselves to believe that we are invisible, but we must respond to the call to stewardship. Stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is caring for someone else's property with the goal of improving that property, of bringing it to a state of perfection, to a state of maturity, to a state of completion. So stewardship, first of all, is caring for someone else's property with the goal of improving that property and bringing it to a state of perfection. Stewardship is administration. Stewardship is administration. It is placing at the appropriate time, at the appropriate place, in the appropriate manner so that, so that that thing can be most effective. And I so love the illustration that my brother gave last time about baseball, about how you, how you arrange the lineup in baseball to have the, the greatest chance of bringing in the most runs. That you don't put your slugger in the first position. The guy that's going to knock the lights out. You want the guy in the first position to be able just to get on base. And then you want that second guy, you want them to be able to get on base, but maybe you want them to have a little bit of speed about them. Maybe they can, they can, they can gain another base. Maybe they can steal another base to get into position. You want that third guy to be also confident to just to get on. And once all the bases are full, then you want your slugger to come up. To put in the right position that that slugger will knock the ball out of the park and drive all the runs in. Administration is placing in the right position for the greatest effect. It is conducting. Stewardship is supervising. It's the management of something that has been entrusted to your care. It's seeing the thing as it is, and not just seeing it as it is, but seeing it as the master intended for it to be. That's what stewardship is. Stewardship sees it as it is. It recognizes it for what it is. It recognizes the qualities that it possesses. And it says, you know what, I know what you are. I know where you are. But I have a charge. I'm, I'm, I'm responding to a command from the master to bring you to the place that you need to be. So a steward's able to, to, to take and handle what the master has given with care, with concern, not abusing, not breaking, not forcing, not, not jamming, and trying to, to push to the point of frustration to push to the point of disappointment. But a steward handles the master's possessions with care. Very careful. The steward is the manager of a house. They're able to, to look after not only the things that are needful for themselves, but for the needs of the entire house. Beyond just their own needs. But what are the needs of the house. What does the house need to move forward? What does the house need to benefit? It's not just about me. It's not just about me. But it's about us. It's about what is needed for the house. The steward, they manage the resources. 
but they're not managed by the resources. The steward manages the resources, but they're not, they're not, they're not controlled by, not, they don't allow the resources to manipulate them. They're not caught up in praise and adulation. The steward, they're not caught up in chasing the money. They're not caught up in chasing the fame. They manage the resources. They don't allow the resources to manage them. They submit themselves to the master's instruction to bring it to what is needed, to bring it to the place of completion, of maturity, where it can be useful for the master's purpose. So let's stop off first in Genesis chapter 2. We're just talking about stewardship. What we want you all to understand is that you all have a call of stewardship on your lives. And it is vitally necessary that you begin to respond to that call. It is critical that you respond to that call to stewardship. That you no longer allow what has been placed in your hands to rot and to waste away. That you no longer allow the opportunity for you to do the most good to be put to the side as you pursue your lust and your own ambitions. But that you would respond to the call to stewardship. Go to Genesis chapter 2. And here's where we really see mankind's and all of mankind's call to stewardship in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, starting with verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Jump down to verse 15, and it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So I just love, I love this. It says the Lord God, the one that is both supreme, but also the one that created everything. The Lord God. We see that the garden, it came from God. The possession came from God. It belonged to God. Too often in stewardship, we get, we get distracted and we become, our vision becomes clouded because we think that we need to make our own way. We think that we need to make it happen. We, we're so focused on working and working and working that we think the work is, is that we need to make our own way, that we need to, to make our own environment, that we need to make our own setting. But we see here that, that the garden, it comes from God. He is the creator of all things. The garden comes from God. Also, we see that God is responsible for causing the ground to be fruitful. God alone is responsible for causing the ground to be fruitful. Go back to Genesis 2, verse 9. It says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is the Lord that is responsible for causing the ground to be fruitful. 
too often we get caught up believing that it's, 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 it's our abilities, it's because of, of our efforts, of our struggles, of our striving. But it's the Lord that, that get, enables you to get wealth. It is the Lord that enables the ground to be fruitful. It's also the Lord that is responsible for placing the man in the garden. God is responsible for placing the man in the garden. He is responsible for placing the man in the place where he could be most effective. He didn't choose that place. He didn't scout out the lands and say, well, this is where I want to settle. This is where I want to, to tend and to keep. The Lord says, no, this is where you will dwell. This is where you'll be able to accomplish what it is that I have for you to do. The Lord is responsible for placing the man in the garden. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to free you all up. Some of you all thought that you know that you were responsible for making the garden. You're not responsible. God is the one that makes the garden. Some of you are thinking, well, it's, because, it's not working because of me. It's not working because of me. But listen, God is the one that is responsible for making the ground fruitful. You're saying, if I could just find a place, if I could just find a place. But guess what? It is God that places the man where he can be most effective. You don't have to search any longer. You don't have to, to, to strive anymore. There is rest. There is peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. The instruction to the man is to dress and to keep the garden. That's what the instruction is to the man, is to dress and to keep the garden. And that's what stewardship is. To preserve that which has already been established. To bring it to a state of perfection. To nurture it. To, to, to declutter. To clear out the weeds. And those things, the thorns and the thistles. And to make it so that what it was intended to do that it can accomplish. Man's instruction is to dress and to keep the garden, and that's what stewardship is. Each of us has the responsibility to manage the resources of our lives to the glory of God, acknowledging that God alone is the provider. We have the responsibility. That means that we have the ability but we have to make the choice to respond in managing the resources of our lives. We have the ability, but we must make the choice to respond in managing the resources of our lives for the glory of God, acknowledging that He is the provider, that He is the provider, God is the provider. Let's go to our key scripture in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, starting at verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. I just love that. He called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. All they needed to do was to respond. 
And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It says the kingdom of heaven, if you want to understand how God, the grace of God is working in the lives of those on the earth, Jesus gives us this, this illustration. And a lot of times we get so caught up in illustration that we miss the point that he was trying to make. We think that it's about money or it's, or it's about abilities or it's about gifts. But what, it is, what it's about is that the master calls his own servants. It's about being a servant. And to each of them, he delivers unto them his goods. That we are servants that have been entrusted with the master's goods. We are servants that have been entrusted with the master's goods. So, you know, stewardship, it can only be entrusted to servants. You can't hire out stewards. You can't pay for stewards. You can't rent stewards. Stewardship can only be entrusted Two servants. Now, what are servants? Servants are those that are under a master. The word in the Greek is doulos. It's translated often as, as slaves. But it also means one that is bound to another. Servants are those that are, that are, that are under a master. You know what I like about servants is that throughout Scripture they talk about people that were brought from other nations. And so because you're a servant, that doesn't necessarily imply anything about your own particular character. It doesn't really mean, it doesn't, it doesn't infer anything about you because they had kings that were servants to other kings. They had people of, of high degree that were, that were made servants to others. And so it wasn't, it wasn't just because you, you happened to, to be misfortunate or because you were oppressed or because you were captured. You know, a lot of times we resist servanthood because we say, I'm not going to be under anybody's thumb. I'm not going to be under any, let anybody put their foot on my neck. I'm not going to be subservient. I'm not going to let anybody put me in my place. But being a servant has nothing, it has nothing to do with your intrinsic value. In fact, people did not regard servants based on who they were. It did not matter to the outside world who you were as a servant. The only value that a servant had was in the instruction that his master gave him. The only value that you had in society as a servant was that which was conferred upon you by the one who, of whom you were a servant to. It didn't matter what you thought about yourself, what you thought you brought to the table, the skills that you thought that you had, the wisdom that you thought that you had. Your value as a servant was in how you conformed to your master was in how valuable you were to your master in bringing to pass his vision, 
His will, His desires. And so servants, they were not judged according to their own merits. But they were judged according to commands given to them by their masters. The servant is judged by his obedience. The servant is judged by his faithfulness. The servant is judged by his diligence. And we're going to talk some more about that. The servant is judged by his obedience. That means that the master will accept what is expected. Obedience means that the master will accept what is expected. And what is expected is what is commanded. Obedience means that I'm not going to go my own way and according to my own thoughts. I'm not going to think that, well, this is good enough and that'll do. But what what will be acceptable is what was expected. And what is expected, the master had no reason to doubt that what he commanded would not be brought forth. So a servant is judged according to their obedience. A servant is judged according to their faithfulness. To their faithfulness. Faithfulness is their their trustworthiness. Am I able to have confidence in you when you are out of my sight? Am I able to have confidence in your actions when no one else can see what you're doing? That you're going to bring the expected results. Faithfulness is truthfulness. What you say is what you do. That you're very simple in your statements. You're not cunning and deceitful in your actions. You're not pretending to be one thing when really you're something else, but your truthfulness. That you're full of truth. That you're reconciled to truth. Faithfulness is your ability to be relied on. Your ability to be relied on. We need to respond to the call to stewardship. Your ability that that when something else fails, that you have more than enough in your reserves to make sure that we continue to press forward. That it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. That you are steadfast in your commitment. That you can be relied on. That we know, that we know when we pull up that you're going to be there. They're always there before me. They're always there. You know what? I can rely on. I can rely on. We often would laugh because when we have our prayer lines on, on Saturdays that, that um, you know, the person that's, that's going to be uh, uh, doing the prayer, we do a little, a little quick training session ahead of time. But we, we, we kind of we chuckle amongst ourselves in the multimedia department because there's always a deacon on the line. There's always a deacon that's there. We're like, well, these, these deacons are always everywhere. They're always, they're, they're always the first to show up. They're always checking and making sure that everything is in order and everything is in place. If you look around, you'll always see a deacon. You'll always see a deacon. You're like, man, you know, 
That's just, what is that? That's, that's, that's someone that can be relied on. That's someone that can be relied on. That's trustworthy. And scripture says that these are the qualities that are, that are in the deacons, that have been ordained as deacons and appointed as deacons. But guess what? These are qualities that should be in every single one of us. It doesn't just come when you're presented and hands are laid on you, but it's developed in your Christian walk. You should be striving and striving and pushing to add that to your character. That you are faithful, that you're trustworthy, that you're truthful, you speak in simplicity in all things, that you're reliable. Faithfulness means that it's someone that you can trust. Faithfulness means that it's someone that you can trust. That you can put a thing in their hand and know that it's well taken care of. Faithfulness also means that it's someone that knows how to trust. Don't try to slip nothing by our deacons. Don't try, don't try, don't try to play any kind of games. They, they, are, they are wise as serpents. Harmless as doves, but they're wise. Someone that you can trust, but also someone that knows how to trust. They know. They know. You know what? I better come up and check on that brother. Maybe I need to go ahead and, and, and check behind what they did. Because, you know, I just they, they're still learning. They're still young. They're still coming along. But they, they, they have discernment. They know how to trust. Someone who is convinced in the promises of God. Someone who is convinced. They don't need to be persuaded. They don't need to, to be argued into. They know that what God has promised, that, that, that He will do. This is what it means to be faithful. Someone who is convinced. If, you, if you're not convinced in the promises of God, you can't be faithful. If you're not convinced in God's promise, if you're not convinced that what he said he will do, even though it has not yet manifested in your life, if you're not 100% convinced, then you can't be faithful. You're always trying to hedge your bets. You always got one foot in and one foot out, trying to make sure that, 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 your, that your bases are covered just in case, just in case. Missing out. Because being double-minded, you are unstable in all of your ways. Missing out on God's best. Squandering this span of time. Squandering this dispensation. Putting to waste that thing that has been placed into your hands. Someone that is convinced in the promises of God. We said that, that, that a steward must be diligent. That they must be diligent. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I would have warned you, but I think Ecclesiastes is pretty to find. Just go to the books of poetry. Psalms, Proverbs, keep going, keep going. You'll see it, you'll see it, you'll see it. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And what I love about this verse is that, is that Solomon, he was, he was, he was um, reflecting on all of life. In all of the uncertainties in life. 
and all the things that are in our circumstances and in our environment that we, that we cannot control. Things that, that happen to those that, that are good and things that are happening to those that are evil. And it seems like there's no way to make sure that, that, that if, if, if you just do good, that only good will come to you. He says, well, look, this, this is the conclusion of the matter. This, 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 this is how he sums it up, that you know what? There may be things that happen to you that also happen to the evildoer. And you're wondering, well, I work for that, but they just got it so easy. Well, you thought that you were protected against a certain thing because you were in right standing with God. And lo and behold, it's fallen upon you. And you said, well, where is my God? Where is the one that I trusted in? He says, well, as far as all that goes, it rains on the, on the just and the unjust. In chapter 9, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. That's what diligence is. It's whatever you find to do. It doesn't matter about the circumstances. It doesn't matter about the hand that you've been dealt. It doesn't matter about the resistance that you face. But do it with all of your might. Put yourself, commit yourself fully to it. Watch it carefully. Direct it. Focus it. Sharpen it. So that it has the greatest effect. When I think about diligence, I think about in the, in the Winter Olympic Games, they have this, this, crazy, this crazy sport where people are, are, are rolling these big stones down this field of ice. And you have one person, they, they, they push the stone, and then they have all these other people that are, that are running along with brushes, 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 brushes. And they're, they're, they're trying to, 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 guard, to guide and to shape how that stone is going to roll. They're being diligent. They're, being, they're, they're, they're working. They're, they have focus, effort, and attention. Because they say, well, you know what? I need to make sure. I'm not just going to do the work and let whatever happens, happens. But I'm going to do the work in such a way that it can have the greatest effect. I'm going to do the work in such a way that it can have the longest lasting impact. That it can have the, the, the most fruit and give God the greatest glory. And Solomon, you know, he's, he's a cold brother because he says, you know why? You know why you do it? Why you must perform diligently? Because you're all, we're all going to the grave. And one day, one day, our assignment will be completed. Our time will be up. And there's nothing that you would have, could have, should have done that you can do about it then. There's no potential that you leave behind that will carry over to anything else. That while you are here in this dispensation, in this time, that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with your strength. Make sure that it's done to the greatest effect. Don't just throw it out there. Don't just throw it out there and say, God, whatever, you know, here it is. No, do it as being acceptable to God. Do it from obedience. Do it with diligence. Diligence is, is thoughtful 
effort directed towards effectiveness. That you've considered not just the impact that it has on you, but the impact that it has on the community. You want to make sure that your work has the greatest effect. That you, 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 you would rather not take the praise. That you would rather not take the accolades if it would appear that the ministry might be blamed. That you'd rather do it anonymously. And nobody would even know, but that it got done. That, it, that if it would injure others, that you would say, you know what, I, it's not about me. It's not about me. I can, do the, I can do the unseen work. I can do the unseen work. The behind the scenes work. The work before everybody else comes. The work after everybody else has left. To make sure that the house of God is provided for. I can do the unseen work so that we can be most effective. So that we can be most effective. Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. And this is Paul talking to the church. And what he's doing is he's saying, you know what? There, there, there are many of you that have received the gospel and have received the baptism, but the Holy Spirit is not yet at work in your lives. In fact, some of you have become idle and you become lazy and you become as busybodies meddling in the affairs of others. And he says, I'm trying to redirect you, to refocus you, because you're wasting this time. God has put us in a place, and you're, you're wasting the opportunity. And he says, I, I, I want to give you the example that I shared to you when I, when I first came. And he says in verse chapter, the 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, For, for yourselves know, how ye ought to follow us. You can just reflect and look back on, on, on our behavior and see the example that we set. For we, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. He says we were, we were diligent. We were focused in our efforts and in our works. And this is where we have to get real with, with stewardship, is that it's not just about you coming to the services. It's not just about you reading your scriptures. It's not just about the time that you spend in this building. But it's about what you're doing in your natural life. It's about what you're doing to provide for those natural needs and providing for the house and providing that there may be meat in the house of God. 
He says, I came full of the Word, full of the promises of God. And I could have spent all of my time declaring the Word unto you. But I saw your condition, and I saw your state. I saw the laziness among you. And I set myself to be an in-sample because I needed to be, I needed to be diligent. I needed to be, have the most effect for my efforts and my labors among you. And I demonstrated by working with my hands and providing meat for my own self and for my own house. And bringing extra so that you could then hear the promises. That you could then hear the word of God that was delivered unto you. Paul said that my, my labor was not to satisfy myself. It was not to fill my own belly, but so that my teaching would be more effective unto you. That he needed to show the people that it's not just about some hereafter, ecclesiastical, some, some, some fulfillment of a promise that will come at some distant date. But it's about the, the labor and the striving that we do day in and day out right now. It's about the preparations that we make today. You know, the servant, they have to recognize that, that their lives, their lives are not their own. That their lives are not their own to fulfill their own purposes but that everything is directed to accomplishing the Master's will. It's, it's not about I'm going to do this for me now and later I'll give some time to God. It's not about I'm going to carve out this for me now and maybe sometime down the road I'll find time for God's work and for His purposes. But the servant realizes that, that right now, in this time, in this season, that my life belongs to the Lord. That in, in my doing, that it is unto God. In all that I do, in all of my labor, in all of my work, it is as unto God that I'm not ensnared by any of it. That I manage the resources. I don't allow the resources to manage me. I don't allow myself to become ensnared by the work but that it's all directed to the glory of God. The steward recognizes that their lives and their goods, what has been placed in their hands, it's all for the master's benefit. You know, one of the things about stewardship is that you don't get to pick your stewardship. We said before that Adam was placed in the garden. He didn't choose that place. Adam was placed where God wanted him to be, where God needed him to be the most effective. It's just some natural examples. I mean, I know you guys are thinking about stewardship, you know, from a scriptural point of view, but just in your natural lives, consider. You know, none of us get, got to choose our DNA, our genetics. But we need to be stewards of this body and caring for the body, the vessel that we are in so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God. You know, professionally, some of you all, you, you, you chose and you were interviewed and you picked, you picked the work that you do. 
right? You pick the job. He says, okay, I'll take that salary, whatever the starting salary was. And they got you in the door. You're like, I'm in control. I'm in control. And you found out immediately that you got to, you got to choose the job. But your employer, they chose the work. Right? You chose the job. But your employer, they, they chose the work. And it is up to you to be a steward over the work that is given to you. Like, what? I need to do, I need to what? You want me where? At what time? Okay. And then you, need, you say, well, okay, you, got, you got two choices. You can be a steward or you can be unemployed. Those, those are your choices. You chose the job, but the master chooses the work. Your employer chooses the work. Just to bring it home, in marriage, you chose, you chose your spouse. Out of all that you could have chosen, you, you chose your spouse. I'm saying it to the men and to the women. We know scripturally, yes, it is, it is, it is a good thing for the man to find a, a wife. It's, it's a good thing that, yes, the man chooses the, the wife. Yes, but you know what? We know, what, we, we know what's up. We know what's up. As much as we chose you, we know that you also had to, you also had to choose. Because if you didn't, if you didn't, it wouldn't have worked out. Ask, ask, ask your teenagers. They're trying to pick people that are not picking them. And it's not working out. But now that you've chosen that spouse, guess what? The marriage belongs to God. And you are responsible as a steward. You are responsible as a steward to bring that marriage to the place of perfection, to the place of completion, where God can receive the glory and you bring forth a godly seed. Say, I, you know, I thought I chose, I didn't know I was choosing all of this. You know what? You, now, now stewardship comes into play. Now, now stewardship comes into play. Just to keep it a hundred, even your children. Most of you decided to have children. The rest of you just have them. And your children, they are the Lord's heritage. But they are your work. They are your stewardship. They are your stewardship. It is your responsibility to bring them to a place of perfection, to a place of maturity where they can be useful to God. And so we see that the servants, they were given their talents according to their ability. That they, 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 didn't choose, they didn't choose what was given to them. But it was given to them according to their ability. It was given to them according to their ability. Just remember in all that God has given to you, that you have the ability to accomplish the will of God in your life. You had what God has commanded of you. You have the ability to bring it to pass. So godly stewardship, it's, it's within your ability. It's within your ability. Now the challenge is, the challenge is, is that even though it's within your ability, 
it may be outside of your current scope of knowledge. Is that fair? I can say that, right? Even though you can do it, you're able to do it, maybe you're not exactly sure on how to do it. On how to bring it to pass. And so thank God that God has also established stewards in the kingdom. Because you have the ability to bring out to bring to pass the will of God, but you need to know how to bring it to pass. And so God has established perfecting gifts in ministry that enable you to become mature, that enable you to become established, that enable you to become productive. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, a passage of scripture that, that, that we've read before, but until learning takes place, until, until we fully embrace what God has given us. He stacked the deck in our favor. Not only did he tell us what he wanted us to do, but he gave us the means to understand how to do it. And, 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 and it's, it's, so, it's, it's so awesome when you think about our God that not only did he create the garden, but he makes it to be fruitful. You almost, how, could you, how could you lose? How could you fail in staying with the Master and keeping and aligning your will and your purposes according to His will and purpose? It's all, I, I can't even imagine a proper analogy. It's, it's, it's as though you're on a golf course. And, and the hole is right in front of you and you have the putter and the ball is, is, is literally an inch away and all you need to do is just, is just kind of make the, the, the motion but before you even touch the ball the ball is rolling into the hole because the earth shook all you needed to do was to, was to choose to just, to just to get in alignment just to, just to get in alignment He made the garden and he also makes it to be fruitful. All the struggle, all the worry, all the toil, it is God that brings forth the increase. It's he that brings forth the increase. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Whenever you see that word work now in Scripture, I want you to think stewardship. Whenever you see the word work, I want you to think servant. Because that's what servants were made for. Servants were made for work. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gives us perfecting gifts to allow us to be mature, in position, in a place where we can edify the body of Christ. In a place where we can have the greatest impact, not just on our own homes, but on the entire body of Christ. One of the things I wanted to point out is that that which is made holy is not the same as that which is holy. 
So in, in, in your stewardship and, and understanding the perfecting gifts and what God has placed in our lives, that we need to understand that that which is made holy is not the same as that which is holy. Then we can have a greater reverence, a greater respect for what God has placed in our lives to help to perfect us, to bring us to the place that we need to be. When we think about that which is holy, God the Father is holy. Jesus Christ the Son, He is holy. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is holy by definition. That which issues from the Father, His Word is holy. That which issues from the Son, His redemption, is holy. That which issues from the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit of God, His power, that's holy. That is holy. That cannot be diminished. That cannot be subdivided. That cannot be made common. But now when we look at that which is made holy, that which is made holy is that which is touched by, that which is submitted to, that which is aligned to, that which is holy. That's what is made holy. That which is touched by, that which the, the master has placed his hands on, that which is submitted to, that which is aligned themselves under the authority that has been established, that which is aligned with, that has conformed themselves to righteousness. These things are made holy. These things are made holy. Now, the difference I want you to understand is that that which is made holy must remain holy. That which is made holy must remain holy. That which is holy is always holy, and it cannot be corrupted. But that which is made holy must remain holy. It must continue to be touched by. It must continue to be submitted to. And it must continue to be aligned with holiness. It, it must continue to be touched by, to be submitted to, to be aligned with holiness. It's not just a one-time event. It's not just a, a milestone in your adult journey. But true servanthood has to continue to remain under to remain submitted to and to always be aligned with that which is holy. Because that which is made holy must remain holy. And there are many examples in this, but I want, one, one, one that really struck me is in Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, that which is made holy, that which has confessed the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, must continue in that confession. That which has set themselves out to do a good work must not become weary in completing that work. 
Go to Matthew, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Just jump down to verse 41. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which made a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. And so you're saying, Brother Everhart, how does that tie into holiness? I want you to consider this widow. I want you to look at her, at her in a way that you haven't thought about her before. I want you to really look at this. She's not just an object. She's a human being that was born, that was young at one point in time, that may have had a family and a husband. And now she is well advanced in years. All those things having passed by. We talked about how Solomon said that, you know what, this life is funny sometimes. Sometimes it seems like those that are, that are righteous and those that are evil, that they, that they get the same benefits out of life. But that's just the appearances of it. In all that you have to do, do it with all of your might. And what has been given for you to do, do it with all. Because at the end of the day, when your work is done, you can't take any of, any of it with you to the grave. So consider this widow. She's not someone that, that gave what was left over. But she prioritized. And she ordered herself. She structured her life so, so, so that she was totally available. Some of you say, well, that, that was easy for her to do. All she had was a little. You know what? It's not easy. When you have a little, you need, to, you need to start practicing now. Because when you have want and when you have lack, that's when you want to hoard and keep that last little bit clutched to your chest and take that to the grave. But she had prioritized and ordered herself so that she was totally available. She understood that that which was given unto me is not my own to possess. It's not my own to benefit and to make myself of anything. But what she had, she was willing to give. First she gave herself. First she gave of herself. And then she was able to bring an offering unto the Lord. She first gave of herself. And then she was able to bring an offering unto the Lord. That's what we mean by that which is made holy must remain holy. When the Lord has placed his hands upon you, you need to stay submitted, to stay diligent, to stay faithful. It's not just for a season. It's not just for a time, but it's a lifetime. You need to become convinced. You need to become convinced in the promises of God. That what he has promised, 
that He will bring it to pass. And that's going to move you to order your life, to discipline yourself. That it doesn't matter what God is asking of me, that I'm always ready and able to give whatever is required so that the ministry can move forward. That I'm as a supervisor, I'm, I'm, I'm diligent, I'm looking. I'm looking at all the rough spots, and I'm looking at all the things that are coming up ahead. I'm not caught off guard, I'm not caught by surprise. But I've anticipated, and I've stored up, and I've made room for the Master's work. I've made room for the Master's plan in my life. So that when the need is there, that I'm able to meet the need. That I'm able to put my hands and contribute to what God is doing. As stewards, we need to be accountable. And we'll get more into that next time. As a steward, you're not free to just use the property, the master's property, any way that you want to. As a steward, you're not free to use the master's property any way that you want to. You have to be accountable. This is what we mean by that which is made holy must remain holy. You can't be wasteful with what's been given to you. You can't be slothful and lazy with what God has placed into your hands. I know some of you are saying, well, what do you mean? Am I a steward? Yes, you are a steward. Yes, God has, God has called you to stewardship. Every single one of you, if you confess the Lord as, as your Savior, He has called you to stewardship. If you haven't confessed, He's calling to you to hear and to hearken unto the voice of salvation. He's demonstrating to you every single day that you wake up. He's saying, look, you know, you know that you have to take care of this outward. Because this outward man dies every day. How much more so must we take care of what God has commanded us to do according to his will spiritually? As I must take care of this outward man, I must also attend to those things that are spiritual. I must understand and respond to what God is calling me to. There's account there's an accountability that's required in your stewardship. It's not enough to say that, that you didn't know. It's not enough to say that, that you didn't have the opportunities that other people had. God is calling you to account for what he has placed in your hands. Now is the time to hear from the Holy Spirit, to let the Spirit work in your lives. Now is the time to prepare yourselves. But there will be a time he's going to call you to account for all that he has placed in your hands, for all that he has required of you. And how will you respond? How will you respond when the master returns and asks his servants for an accounting of what he has placed in their hands? Are you going to try and make an excuse? Are you going to try and point to circumstances and situations He already knew because he made the garden. 
He already knew the circumstances. He already knew the situations. And knowing what was required, he said, this is the man that I need. He called you as the person that he needs for this time and this dispensation. It is our responsibility to respond to what he's called us to. We're going to dig some more into this in our, in our subsequent teachings. But I just want you all to reflect on what, what God has called us to. That it's, it, it, is, it is a great work that he is doing through us and in us. Coming out of this period of preparation, we, we cannot be. I almost want to say we should not be, but I just want to let you know, I'm going to keep it real. We cannot be the same people that we were before. We cannot be the same people that we were before. That we have to consider, we have to be so mindful and thoughtful of all that God is trying to do. That it's not just about my house. It's not just about my borders. God is trying to position us to do a work throughout the city, throughout this land. We have people that are tuning into our live stream from across this country. And God is speaking into every single one of those homes, into all of those lives. We cannot allow ourselves to be who we were before. We have to be conformed to his image. Listen, I'm not telling you to strive and to struggle, try and make something up. I'm letting you know that God has already made the provision. He's already mapped out the way for it to be fruitful and to be effective. All he is asking you to do is to be a steward. It's to be, it's to be a faithful steward. It's to be an obedient steward. It's to be a diligent steward to accomplish his will in this time. Amen, family. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.